This is People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, hosted by me, D.B. Spitzer. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be talking about a fictional geographical area known as Lovecraft Country, and that, I believe, spans up the North Shore, possibly all the way up into Vermont. And uh, we'll be talking about a book named after this fictional geographic location by Matt Ruff. And we'll also be talking about a particular elder god by the name of Nodens and its background in the real world, you know, and also how it applies to the Lovecraft mythos, the Lovecraft legend cycle, the Cthulhu mythos, maybe you heard of it? Anyway. As always, this episode is brought to you by Found Item Clothing. Get a cool shirt, awesome shirts, and BuddySlippers.com. Keep your feet warm. Thank you for listening. I hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend. I accidentally released last weekend's episode on a Saturday when I meant to release it on Monday. So I hope you guys got to enjoy it early. If not, hey, it's it's still there. You can go and listen to The Strange High House in the Mist or whatever it's called. I always mess up that title. Just like I always mess up certain titles about doorsteps, colors, and rats by Lovecraft. I always call them the wrong things or transpose different words from various titles. Have I told you about how I always mix up No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood? I get those two movies confused. I know the basic plots of both movies as I've seen them. But I can never remember which movie's which, and I always have to, like, think about it a little bit. And I'm like, okay, Tommy Lee Jones is an old man, so therefore, no country for old men. I'm like, but there will be blood. All right. And then I have to be like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Blood and oil are both viscous substances. There will be blood. That's the one with the oil. And then I have to, like, try and remember which director's which. Yeah, no one cares about me confusing movies. All right. So we are going to be talking about all that stuff that I talked about. And who knows? Maybe even more. So here we are. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Sit back, relax. Do what you're going to do to enhance listening to my insane bullshit. And yeah. And I just want to remind people, if you want to contact the show, if you want to suggest a topic, if you have a book that you would like me to read, if you are involved in small press and have a cool little collection of poems or short stories that you've produced, send it my way. And what's the best way to do that? Oh, do you have a Gmail address? No. Do you have a cool mailbox? No. You can go to pgttcm.com slash contact, fill out the form, send it to me. That's the best way to do stuff. Or, you know, track me down on Facebook at facebook.com slash pgttcm. Or you can track me down on Twitter at twitter.com slash pgttcm or however they do it with Twitter. But the best way for me to find it and give a damn is pgttcm.com slash contact. And now on with the show. Lovecraft Country. 
by Matt Ruff is the book that I have been reading for the last two months, possibly three. And I'm just going to state right now, I highly recommend it. If you don't want to listen to the rest of this podcast, just know that you should go out and buy Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. It is published by HarperCollins out of New York. And this is what they wanted me to say about it. And I'll say my own words after that. Lovecraft Country rubs the pervasive eldritch dread of Lovecraft's universe against the very real historical dread of Jim Crow America and Sparks Fly. A brilliantly conceived story, brilliantly executed. In Lovecraft Country, Matt Ruff renders a very high concept imaginary world, which vividness that you can't help but feel it's disturbingly real. Christopher Moore, New York Times, best-selling author of Lamb and a Dirty Job. Another only Matt Ruff could do this production, Lovecraft Country takes the unlikeliest of premises and spins it into a funny, fast, exciting, and affecting read. Neil Stevenson, New York Times bestselling author of 70s and Anthem. From the critically acclaimed cult novelist who brought you Bad Monkeys and The Migraine comes, The Mirage, not The Migraine, comes Lovecraft Country, uh, Harper, February 16th, 2016. Uh, Matt Ruff's smart, timely, genre-bending new novels set in Jim Crow America, this is as entertaining as it is impactful. Blending historical fiction, pulp noir, and Lovecraftian horror and fantasy, Lovecraft Country follows 21-year-old army veteran Atticus Turner, as I turn the page, embarks on a trip to New England with a mission of finding his missing father, accompanied by his uncle George and his childhood friend Ledita. Atticus makes his way to the manor of Mr. Brainthwaite, heir to the estate that owned one of Atticus's ancestors. At the manor, Atticus discovers his father is a prisoner of a secret sect called the Order of the Ancient Dawn. The Order of the Ancient Dawn has gathered to orchestrate a ritual that centers on Atticus. His only hope of salvation may be the seed of his and his entire family's destruction. Dexterously written and filled with masterful twists and turns throughout, Lovecraft Country is an adrenaline rush from beginning to end. Matt Ruff has expertly crafted an edgy and devastating portrayal of racism, an issue that is relevant today as it has ever been. Hells to the yeah! It was a good book. I really enjoyed reading it. I, I'm i not going to argue with any of the criticisms or, well not criticisms, but uh, reviews that I just, I just read off. It's a good book. It is a long read. Uh, make sure that you have the time to read it and make sure that you have the time to set to read it because it's not something that you can just pick up and put down you you kind of have to get into a certain mindset and then you for me at least i don't know then you have to be able to shake off that and be like okay all right back to the real world or at least that's what i do when i read i i have to partition my reading brain from my waking brain or otherwise i don't know eh, head injury who knows I would like to say that this is a really good book. I really like how it's written. It doesn't feel like your standard Lovecraftian novel right away. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought it was a good, good book. Also, I really liked it that it moved on beyond the whole basic Lovecraftian concept of I am an alone 
white male. And this is the terrible things that only I can solve. Definitely pick up a copy of, of Lovecraft Country. I was trying to find a copy of Lovecraft Country by Keith Herber, but I can't find my copy and it was gonna serve as a, for multiple things, but dagnabbit, I think it's in storage somewhere. Anyway, um, pick up Lovecraft Country. I really recommend it. I think you're gonna enjoy reading it. And if you don't enjoy reading it, well, I'm really sorry, but maybe that's more about you and less about, I don't know, Lovecraft Country and what Matt R. had to write. Okay, thank you so much, and on to the next thing. Looking for a way to keep your feet warm this uh, winter? This fall? Have I got some news for you. Bunnyslippers.com. You can get some of those classic classic OG bunny slippers that you've seen in so many movies you remember from your childhood. You can pick them up at bunnyslippers.com. You want some Cthulhu to slip your feet into? Bunnyslippers.com. They've got zombie faces. They've got uh, hobbit-looking feet. They've got Godzilla feet. They've got USB-powered slippers. You plug them into your computer. You warm them up. You unplug them, you put them on your feet. They've got ones like, I think they look like s'mores that you can put in the microwave. Oh, they're so cool. And my personal favorite, the knitted owl slippers. Oh, they've got dog ones too, but the owl ones, the owl ones are lovely. Check them out, bunnyslippers.com. Do you want to help this podcast grow? I highly, highly recommend that you go to iTunes, look for pgttcm.com, rate us, review us, Share us with your friends. Connect with us on social media like Twitter and Facebook. I'm going to start doing some contests for Facebook and Twitter followers in the next coming month. So you're probably going to want to pay attention to that. Free stuff. Cool free stuff. Might be t-shirts. Might be slippers. Might be books. Who knows? I might try and get some stuff signed at Cthulhu Con this year. You never know. It's going to be fucking cool. All right. Now we're going to talk about Lovecraft Country. What it is, what it means, where the term derived from, and yeah. So to know what Lovecraft Country is, you need to be a little bit... Uh, a little bit familiar with the role-playing game, the pen and paper and dice, kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but instead of based off of a mishmash of different mythologies and folklore, we have it based off of the writers of the early 20th century, such as H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert E. Howard, mixed in with folks from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, like everyone ranging from Lynn Carter to, I don't know, Robert Block. So let's, uh, let's get started. Lovecraft Country is a term coined by Keith Herber for the New England setting combining real and fictitious locations used by H.P. Lovecraft in many of his weird fiction stories, and later elaborated by other writers working in the Cthulhu mythos. The term was popularized by Chaosium, the producers of the Lovecraftian role-playing game, The Call of Cthulhu. If you haven't heard about it, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a really fun game and fairly easy to learn, far less complicated in my opinion 
than, say, your Dungeons and Dragons, and way less complicated than Shadowrun, which I loved the setting but hated playing the game due to it was a little rough if you were bad at math. And I'm bad at math. Okay, back to <laughs> uh, Lovecraft scholar uh, S.T. Joshi, or as I like to call him, St. Joshi, refers to the area as the Miskatonic region after its fictional river and university, while Lovecraft biographer and writer Lynn Carter calls it Miskatonic County. Though Lovecraft indicates that at least some of his fictional towns were located in real-life Essex County of Massachusetts. In 1998 supplement Dead Reckonings, Chaosium defined Lovecraft Country as a land located northeast of Massachusetts. The most important portion stretches along the Miskatonic River from Dunwich to the far west where it enters the Atlantic Ocean between Arkham and Kingsport and Martins Beach. If one were to replace Martins Beach with any other associated seaside town, Innsmouth, one would have a list of the most significant locations in Lovecraft Country. Sometimes the phrase is used in a more inclusive sense, encompassing not only northeastern Massachusetts, but also the southern hills of Vermont, the settings of the Whisperer in Darkness, as well as Lovecraft's hometown of Providence, Rhode Island, where he set such works as the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Lovecraft used a New England setting for the 1920 story, The Terrible Old Man, set in Kingsport. In the story that first mentions both Arkham and the Miskatonic River, The Pitcher in the House, Lovecraft wrote that the, the true epicure of the terrible, to whom a new thrill of unutterable ghastliness is the chief end and justification of existence. Esteem most of all the ancient, lonely farmhouses of backwoods New England, for there are dark elements of strength, solitude, grotesqueness, and ignorance combined to form a perfection of the hideous. In 1930, in a 1930 letter to Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft attempted to explain his fascination with New England as a setting for weird fiction. It is the Night Black Massachusetts legendary which packs the really macabre kick. Here is material for a really profound study in group of neuroticism. For certainly none can deny the existence of a profoundly morbid streak in the Puritan imagination. Lovecraft first mentioned Arkham's Miskatonic University and Herbert West Reanimator. Written in 1921 through 1922, he added Dunwich, or Dunwich, depending on where you're from, to his imaginary landscape in 1928, of course for the Dunwich Horror, and expanded it to include Innsmouth in the 1931 The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Other Lovecraft stories take place and make use of Lovecraft Country settings including the festival, the color out of space, the strange high house in the mist, and the dreams in the witch house, and the things, the, the thing on the doorstep. So far I have covered the festival, I believe, for either a Christmas episode or the Thanksgiving episode. I have not colored, I have not colored the color out of space. I haven't covered it either. And of course, last week we did the strange high house in the mist or whatever I called it last time. All right. August Derleth had some things to add to it. Of course he did. Lovecraft's friend and literary executor. <laughs> executor. 
uh, discouraged other mythos writers from setting their stories in Lovecraft's New England, but he himself attempted to fill the banks of uh, the setting and the blanks of the setting, particularly in his posthumous collaborations in gigantic air quotes with Lovecraft. Derelith's stories based on notes or ideas Lovecraft left behind, or just honestly bits and pieces of dialogue or descriptive text that were, you know, just kind of sandwiched into stuff, like The Lurker at the Threshold, which is set in Billington's Woods, a fictional forest north of Arkham, while Witch's Hollow takes place in the titular valley in the hills to the west of the town. The title of The Fisherman of Falcon Point refers to a promontory of the Atlantic coast south of Innsmouth, Wentworth's Day, and the horror from the middle span take place in an area north of Dunwich, while the gable window concerns a house on the Aylesbury Pike. And the Aylesbury Pike is a real place just as Martin's Beach is. So yeah, there is a ton of times that the Lovecraft uh, country books were used for the role-playing game. I think I have one that is just called Lovecraft Country that is from the early 80s. I don't see it listed in anything that I've been looking at. But I also have things like uh, Arkham Unveiled that came out in 1990. Um, Yeah, yeah. I've got Miskatonic University. Oh, Tales of the Miskatonic Valley, I think, is from like the early 80s or late 80s. I'm not quite sure. But I've got Miskatonic Valley, which is also set in. And uh, yeah, Miskatonic University. And there's there's all kinds of... There's a lot of gaming supplements that you can just look through and read and get an idea of what the various writers have come up with for Lovecraft Country. You don't even actually have to play the games. It's kind of... I don't know. I have to say the gaming books are fun to flip through just to get an idea of who things are. There are fun quotes in there, uh, how things are related to each other. It's almost like an encyclopedia of Lovecraftiana that has statistics. And I don't know. Um, Not that I have a problem with Dan Harm's Encyclopedia Lovecraftiana or whatever it's called these days, but... The Chaosium books are fun just to read, and they've got nice illustrations most of the time. And they're just kind of fun. They're just kind of fun. The phrase Lovecraft Country is now used outside of the Cthulhu gaming community. Return to Lovecraft Country was a collection of short stories set in the New England of H.P. Lovecraft, published by Triad Entertainments in 1996. The editor had also done work for Chaosium. Eternal Lovecraft is a short story collection published by Golden Griffin Press in 1998, and has a selection called Lovecraft Country. Uh, The phrase occurs in popular discussions of Lovecraft's connections to the region. The Harvard Law Record used the phrase in an October 20th, 2005 article. Many stories take place in Lovecraft Country, the fictional North Shore towns of Arkham, Innsmouth, Kingsport, Dunwich, uh, perhaps fictional equivalents. Yeah, no, we we get that. Okay, yeah, no. Because Ipswich, Salem, Danvers, Marblehead, or Newburyport, even though Newburyport is mentioned 
uh, Danvers is mentioned, Ipswich is mentioned, and Salem is mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, there, Arkham's a stand-in for stuff, but okay, here's something. If any of you play Fallout 4, you'll notice that there is a river that exists in Fallout 4 that does not exist in a real map of Massachusetts. That's the Miskatonic River. Uh, notice where it comes out and notice what's up and down it. Uh, pay attention to kind of stuff dealing with that. You're, you're going to find things a little bit more Lovecraftian. And hey, what lighthouses just... Yeah, anyway. Um, Lovecraft Country exists in Fallout 4. It's an interesting thing. And of course, there is Matt Ruff's book, uh, Lovecraft Country. Not... Matt Ruff didn't write a book called Fallout 4. But hey, he's he's a good writer, so he may be able to do that, and then he'd be like, oh, this has nothing to do with Fallout. This is, like, way better than Fallout. I think that's it for Lovecraft Country. I can't think of anything else I want to say, except for um, fictional places I would not want to live ever. Lovecraft Country. I mean, I... There's... Uh, you know, if, if it appears in a horror story, I wouldn't want to live in Stephen King country myself, personally. It's like, one, it's Maine. Sorry, people who are listening in Maine. Two, um, I don't want to get murdered by clowns or just, I mean... Uh, also, if you like to read, why don't you go to either pgttcm.com or pgttcm.podbean.com, the RSS feed for those who don't know, and click on one of our Amazon links. We've got a link where you just go to Amazon and buy what you want. I get a small percentage. Or why don't you check out our 30-day free trial, unlimited Kindle, amazon.com. Just, just don't type that in, but go to the sites and click on the Amazon buttons and find out about the 30-day trial of kindle just a reminder we are part of the dark myths collective and you can check out me blurry photos eastern borders all those guys and not to mention inward empire on darkmyths.org that's darkmyths.org the dark myths collective which i am a part of and hey, let's hear a little bit about Inward Empire from themselves. Greetings, listeners. I'm Sam Davis, the host of Inward Empire, a podcast that explores the role of ideas, ideology, and myth in American history. Each episode plunges you eye-deep into a world that's both intensely familiar and profoundly different from the one we live in now. From the forests of colonial New England, to the scarred mental battlefields of Civil War veterans, to the contested streets of Gilded Age cities, I aim to bring the American past alive for my listeners, and at the same time, illuminate the American present. For more information about the show, visit darkmyths.org or my own website at inwardempirepodcast.wordpress.com. Let's, let's talk about Nodens. We're going to go with the Celtic deity associated with healing, the sea, hunting, and dogs, worshipped in ancient Britain 
notably a temple complex in Lydney Park in Gloucestershire, um, and possibly also in Gaul. So probably also in a stretch of land that is now covered by water between France and Great Britain. He is equated with the Roman gods Mars, Mercury, Neptune, and Sylvanus. And his name is cognate with that of the Irish mythological figure Nuada and the Welsh Nud. The name Nodens probably derives from the Celtic stem Nodunt or Nuadunt, which J.R.R. Tolkien suggested was related to a Germanic root meaning acquire, have the use of, earlier to catch and trap as a hunter, making the connection of Nuada and Lud's hand. He detected an echo of the ancient frame of the magic hand of Nodens the Catcher. <laughs> Similarly, uh, Julius Parconi derives the name from a Proto-Indo-European root, Nud, meaning acquire, utilize, go fishing. Ranko Matazovic has proposed that the name of the deity may come from Proto-Celtic Snodo, meaning mist, clouds, the translation from snodo to nodens happens because the particle sn was changed with n to p Celtic languages, such as Gallic and Britonic. Furthermore, nodens' name, which is in the normative case, appears in inscriptions as nodonte due to a change in the dative case. However, sn was not reduced in Old, Eng uh, Old Irish in which the cognate is attested as Nuada. Nuada not. Anyway, yeah, that's like way, uh, I don't know, entomology, I pff, have no idea about centers of worship. Uh, there's a temple complex in Lydney Park situated on a steep bluff overlooking the Severn Estuary. We'll, we'll talk about the Severn Valley uh, at some point in time in the future. It's rectangular measuring 72 by 54 meters. That would be 236 by 177 feet for majority of my listeners. With a central sila measuring from 29 meters by 49.5 meters. Again, that is 32 and a half feet by 55 feet and its northwestern end is divided into three chambers that is 6.3 meters deep you can figure it out in yards and then convert that into feet yourselves this imposing classical style building has been interpreted as an i don't know dormitory for sick pilgrims to sleep and experience a vision of divine presence in their dreams huh sounds a little lovecraftian the site was probably chosen because it offered a clear view of the massive severn boar a um a tidal wave which under certain conditions rises near gloucester and its position within an earlier Iron Age hill fort must also be relevant. The complex was archaeologically excavated in 1920 by Sir Mortimer Wheeler, who established that it was built sometime after 364 CE, with occupation continuing well into the 5th century. It has produced several inscriptions to Nodens, one a lead uh, curse tablet reads, 
Divo nodante Silvanius Anelvium Paradit Dimidium Partium Donavant Nodi uh, Nodenti Inter Quivius uh, Nomen Silanci Nolis Petarmius Sanitarium Donec Perfora Vesc Templum Dentis. For the god Nodens, Sylvanus has lost a ring and has donated one half its worth to Nodens. Among those named Senechelius, permit no good health until it is returned to the temple of Nodens. It is conjectured that the lost ring is the ring of Sylvanus, found in uh, Sylvanius, found in the 19th century, far away from Lydney. Another of the bronze plate equates Nodens with the Roman god Mars. D.M. Nodente, Flavius, Blandvius, R. Madava, V.S.L.M. To the god Nodens, uh, Flavius, Blandius, the drill instructor willingly and deservedly fulfills his vow. Another, you know what? Who cares about what the inscriptions say? Because none of it matters about the Cthulhu mythos. Let's, uh, let's talk about Nodens as it appears in the Cthulhu mythos. All right? That sounds like a good plan to me. So, Nodens isn't the hunter. He is the Lord of the Great Abyss, or Nuada of the Silver Hand, and is based off the Celtic deity. And first appeared in HBL's story, Strange High House in the Mist. Huh, funny, we covered that last week. I wonder why. And upon dolphin's backs was balanced a vast cenelaret shell wherein rode the gray and awful form of primal Nodens. Lord of the Great Abyss, then hoary Nodens reached with the wizened hand and opened Olni and his host into the vast shell, H.P. Lovecraft, Strange High House of the Mist. Nodens is one of the elder gods that appears as an elderly human male with white hair, gray-bearded and hoary yet still vital and strong. He often rides a chariot uh, formed with a huge seashell pulled by some great beasts of legends. Nodens is survived by night gaunts. And for those who don't remember, the Elder Gods are... Um, oppose the Outer Gods and the Great Old Ones. The Outer Gods would be like, I believe, Yogg-Sothoth, Azathoth, Iod, those guys... And um, the great old ones are Cthulhu, Haster, Tsathagwa, Shabnagroth. Oh, you know, those folk. And so Derleth has, like, good guys and bad guys. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I could go through a big old list of folks that were created by, I don't know, uh, created by Derleth and Lumley and various other folks. I don't really like to focus on the Elder Gods all that much until we get to that point. As a hunter, he will chase down evil creatures in the dreamlands, such as Shantax. He prefers to hunt the servants of the Great Old Ones, or Naralethotep, because they are usually the most intelligent and offer the best sport, but not necessarily because he wants to help humans being attacked by them. He has, however, been known to deliberately help humans, such as when he offers help to assist Randolph Carter against... Narlethotep in the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. Out of the void, Sugnak, the violent gas, had pointed the way. The archaic Nodens was bellowing his guidance from unhindered deeps. 
later followed by And Hori Nodens raised a howl of triumph when Naralothotep, close to his quarry, stopped baffled by a glare that seared his formless, haunting horrors to grey dust. Lovecraft may have also based Nodens on Arthur Mackin's The Great God Pan, 19, uh, 1890, because Mackin was one of Lovecraft's favorite authors. In the novel, Mackin describes a late Roman inscription hinting that Nodens was actually the titular god Pan. On one side of the inscription, on one side of the pillar was an inscription, which I took a note. Some of the letters had been defaced, but I do not think that there could have been any doubt at whose which I supply. The inscription read as follows. Oh yeah, and it was one that I read before. To the great god Nodens, the great god deep of the abyss. Yeah, the, the oh, oh, no, no, this is fictional. Uh, Flavius Senelius has erected this pillar on account of the marriage which he saw beneath the shade. Yeah, that's not what it really said. Uh, Mackin was probably inspired by finding the extensive temple complex dedicated to Nodens in Lydney Park in uh, Severn, Severn Valley? I don't know. Anyway, so, yeah. That's Nodens, and uh, Nodens isn't really good, Nodens isn't really bad, kind of like Sathagwa, and I think classifying these eldritch beings as good or bad has always been pointless, and I also believe that Nodens, you just have us and them with these guys, I don't think there's really a, I don't know, you can classify it, but if this was actually like a real thing, it wouldn't be so easily classified by old white man standards, such as, I don't know, how people classify plants and animals. We're talking about things that defy time and space. So yeah, categorizing them as elder things, or not elder things, uh, elder gods, outer gods, great old ones. It's things that our mind can't even begin to understand the scope and scale. Yeah, there's some of them that are just like, I don't know, little babies that just aren't really that powerful. But then you have other things, like, like Golgoroth. Um, Golgoroth is just a creepy frog thing that wants to watch you beat babies to death in Hungary. He, he, he can't, he can't, like warp time or anything like that he's just a space monster hanging out you know waiting to get murdered with blades blessed by Allah so yeah I mean but then you've got like things like Sathagwa who have like lived for billions of years and actually came down and moved their family from point A to point B and are actually descended from actual creators of the universe <sighs> uh, I don't know I don't know um yeah, who else is, like, not worthy of being called a god but acts like one? Oh, let's say Rantagoth, who's just, I don't know, like an apex apex predator who just, just, ugh. Yeah, no, no, some of these things aren't gods. They're just apex predators that our human minds can't wrap around something that lives in four dimensions and can travel through time-space. And other of these things are, like, just pretty much, like, they're not gods, but they're, like, multi-dimensional royalty, like, like Sathagwa. And then you have things like Narlathotep and Azathoth and Yogg-Sothoth that are like beings beyond comprehension. I think that's it for Nodens. Thank you for listening to PGTTCM.com. I have been your host, D.B. Spitzer. And 
I would just like to remind people to, if you want to help this podcast grow and you don't want to spend any money, what you can do is rate and review us on iTunes. Seriously. You don't have to buy a t-shirt. You don't have to donate any money on the PayPal thing that the PayPal donation button that's found on pgttcm.com and pgttcm.podbean.com. No. You just go to iTunes, you search PGTTCM, you rate us, give us how many stars you feel like, and give us an honest review. If you think this show sucks, let other people know. Let me know. I'll do what I can to make it better. And if your main suggestion to make the show better is get rid of that fucking idiot, well, we're going to have a problem there because I haven't been able to find anyone to take over the show for me. I've tried. And you can also check us out... I don't know, just Google PGTTCM.com. If you want to follow me specifically, you can follow me on Twitter at DrunkSatanRobot. If you want to find any of my artwork, you can go to Society6 or Redbubble and look up DrunkSatanRobot. Anyway, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I have been your host, D.B. Spitzer. Thank you again. Check out all of my sponsors. FoundItemClothing.com, BunnySlippers.com, Go to darkmyths.org and find cool podcasts about scary, spooky, dangerous, deadly things, true crime, history, paranormal stuff. Uh, And hey, their one literary podcast, pgttcm.com. Oh, you can check out the Tumblr where you can look at cool pictures of Team Rocket. I am not a rocket shipper. So you don't have to worry about whether or not it will be pictures of Team Rocket, other off or anything like that. Ah, thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I've been your host, D.B. Spitzer. I will try and throw out a reading uh, earlier for this week. Just uh, thank you for everyone for listening and tuning in and getting me onto the uh, podcast charts. I, I premiered at 85 last last week, week before, and then dropped and disappeared from the charts almost immediately. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So let's I don't know. Let's 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 meet up here next week. Okay, um, I got something for you. And remember, stay weird, stay safe.